Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Notre Dame 21-20 at the last second. One word, Robbie, heartbreaking. It was certainly that and then some is how I'd characterize it, especially when felt like we had the game in our back pocket if we could have uh, just executed a little bit better down the stretch. I know, man. I know. Why don't you give us a cheers? Well, uh, big cheers to the players in that game and really the coaches as well, probably more so on Bud Foster and and really helping turn around uh, the defense, which has not played that well all all season. So I thought that was um, really surprising. Also a big cheers to the men's basketball team, which just pulled off the W right before we hopped on this podcast on the road in the first conference game, also the first game in the season against Clemson. So a big win there. Absolutely. Cheers. Yeah, that was a big win for the basketball team. We're going to get to that in a second. Let's hop right into the news and notes because there's a lot to say about this game and about Wake Forest. But I wanted to start with the AP poll. LSU and Bama are still 1-2. and two. There's a huge matchup coming up between those two teams this week. We're also getting undefeated number 5 Penn State against undefeated number 13 Minnesota. Keep in mind, those are the AP poll rankings. We just got the new college football playoff rankings. Like I just looked them up on my phone a second ago. They just came out. We've got Ohio State at number one, LSU two, Bama three, Penn State at four, and Clemson comes in at number five. So a little bit of a shakeup there. It's not a one-two matchup for LSU and Bama, according to the college football playoff rankings, but it still is the game of the century, of the millennium, whatever, coming up this weekend. Your thoughts on those rankings? uh, The only one, it seemed like you had a a sense that this might be the the case, but the one that was really surprising to me was Penn State. Most people, I think, thought the top four swapping Clemson in for Penn State were all interchangeable, and you could make arguments for any one of them, depending on what what matters to you or what you actually think the the playoff rankings um, should take into account. So I was a little bit surprised by Penn State, but all this is going to work itself out over the course of the season. And for Penn State's opponent, Minnesota, they were 17th in the college football playoff rankings as opposed to 13 in the AP poll. So a little bit of a step down for Minnesota, who I put out on Twitter this week, they've actually played a worse schedule than we have this year. And yes, they are undefeated, but that goes to show you just how bad their schedule is and why the committee put them at 17. Whereas LSU and Ohio State have both been tested and that's why they're one and two. And Clemson, you know, they're they're in a position now where if they lose one game, I don't think they can get in the college football playoff. Yeah, and Clemson's weird because they had one close game everybody's going to have a close game here or there throughout the season. It seems like, and they've really dismantled everybody else that they've played. So, but I agree with your point. If they take one loss, they're going to be in trouble. So, and the, we'll see how it plays out. It doesn't look like many people are going to challenge them, but they also have wake forest coming up in the week after us as well. And that could be the game that could be frightening. If you're a Clemson fan, wake forest comes in at 19th in those initial college football playoff rankings. So that's who we're up against this week. They're 22 in the AP poll, and the team we just played, Notre Dame, is 15 
in the AP poll and also 15 in the college football playoff rankings, a slot that I would consider a little too high after their last two-week performances, but that's just me. Next up, I have the injuries, and we have to consider Hennon Hooker questionable this week after last week's fake news that he was probable. We all thought he was going to play. Fuente kept talking about he practiced all week, but as the week went on, it became clear that QP was going to get the start, and that's what we got on Saturday. And um, I guess they were still concerned about the knee. I wish Hennon Hooker had played because maybe the, gone, the game would have gone differently, but I think Quincy acquitted himself about as good as he could in a very tough situation. I'm a little bit more forward-leaning than others, and I don't have any news on it, but if Fuente was that close to playing him against a, a relatively physical Notre Dame team in a game like that, I have to believe that he's he's playing this week as long as nothing happens where he doesn't tweak the knee or, or something weird happens this week. But if all's good and he gets a full week of practice, I fully expect him to be out there on the game on Saturday, but we'll see. And I, I would say that we we really need him on Saturday as well. <laughs> it mm-hmm. would be my opinion, but we'll get a little bit more into that later. Keyshawn King, he also missed the game. Even though he was healthy, he was suspended for the game. And uh, the rumor is that he missed a practice. I don't know. Supposedly, it's all water under the bridge, and he's going to be back this week. But we'll see about that, too. Jamari Connor has been bothered by a hamstring. He was bothered by it for most of the game. Ladler played the majority of the game at nickel, and he's now questionable for this week. That's not great for a Wake team that passes the ball a lot. We also didn't have Oscar Bradburn versus Notre Dame. If you're catching the theme here, we were shorthanded last weekend. Uh, he tweaked his groin last Thursday, and Romo filled in nicely, I thought, at, at, in the punting duties. Norrell Pollard was caught for weed later in the week. A lot happened after our last podcast. Are you you getting this? Um, He did play in the game, but he played later despite the weed charge. I don't know how that's going to shake out, uh, nor do I care about some college football player that smokes weed, but it is against the rules, and if it puts him in jeopardy of playing, that is a problem. He was suspended for the first half. That was that's what they. Is that what it was? I'm pretty sure... I thought I saw that on Twitter, but I think he was suspended for the the first half of the game. So that might just be it. And we might be moving on, hopefully, because we need him. Hopefully. And Waller is out for the first half first Wake Forest. That's due to the targeting call, which of all the calls was one of the more legit ones. And uh, we better hope Armani Chapman is healthy because Quillen didn't look good in the game. And Chapman, when he was playing, did seem to do pretty well. So Bud feels confident in Amari and that he can handle it. And with, again, with this wake passing attack, we need as many healthy DBs as we can get right now. Yeah, Chapman had the the nice interception in that game, which was could have been huge for us eventually, you know, pulling that game out, uh, which was called back on a suspect at best call on roughing the passer yeah yeah before we get into the game recap just a couple more notes this weekend's game we're honoring coach foster and that's pretty cool obviously he's he's all everything for vt over the years we we've talked about it in the past but it is cool he's getting his own his own game that they're going to honor him and i'm i'm sure show a bunch of highlights on the jumbotron and all kinds of other things 
you're going to the game, right? I will be there. So I'm going to this game and then uh, me and my wife are going to the pit game. So I haven't been all season. So I'm finally going to get to um, go to Blacksburg, which is my favorite thing. But I could only go to a couple games this year. So these are them. Well, you're seeing some good ones. I mean, when you look at our schedule and, and who we thought might be good and who turned out to be good, you're going to a, to two of the better games on the schedule for sure. Yeah, I got I got lucky in picking those out because before the season started, we didn't know what any of these teams were going to be. So it was uh, a bit of a um, guessing game on which games I was going to pick. So I'm I'm ex- I, I'm excited and hesitant. I guess it especially for this Wake Forest game. <laughs> yeah, a lot of importance with regard to bowl eligibility on those two games and the coastal race as well. Back to the basketball team. We said the season started tonight. There's a lot of games that are going tonight, including numbers one and two and three and four are playing each other. Duke actually just beat Kansas a couple minutes ago. But we played Clemson on the road, ACC game, first game of the year, and we were seven-point dogs going into the game. We won by seven points, Robbie. We had an amazing performance by redshirt freshman Landers Nolly. Uh, The quick outlet pass that got the dunk, and then at the very end, we had BD blocking the shot. Uh, all fantastic, like, just plays and highlights in the game. And to get a win on the road in conference play, Coach Mike Young's first game, it was huge, man. I didn't get to watch the whole game because we were recording tonight and was working, so I had to spend a little bit of time with, with my wife. So I flipped it on when there was about three minutes left or so. And at least I got to see us finish and it's it's a little bit uh, counter to what just happened in the notre dame game but they they finished it off because that tied up a few times towards the towards the end yeah and the play where we got the dunk towards the end that easily could have been a turnover like the game could have swung right there and instead we got the dunk we got the foul we got the free throw uh it, it was it was very cool and to, to see landers nolly it had everyone saying what if about last year? Because that team needed more depth. It needed more scoring. Nolly clearly is a very good player, uh, dropping 30 in his first college game. But, you know, if he's there last year, whoever started to emerge and play well, maybe they don't because he's on the team. And he was a freshman last year. He, We're seeing him now after a full season of developing and playing college basketball he, he wasn't going to be this good last year, most likely. So, yeah, it sucks that he wasn't eligible to play last year. But let's just appreciate the fact that we got a guy who is going to be putting up points every game. I, I think we were all pretty sure of that. Yep. The Pick'em winner. Andrew Mann had 11 correct this week. Congrats, Andrew. Jason Maliski has taken over first place overall. Michael Domabil is right behind him. And Sarah Berlin is in third along with John May. I'm at 49% on the season in our picks, in our 2D pick them. Uh, you're at 56.6% of the games you've picked, but <laughs> you missed a week, so you're actually at 50%. <laughs> yeah, that was a brutal, brutal miss early on, so I'm, 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 I'm parting from that. So let's get into the game recap. I, I'm trying to move quickly here because, like I said at the beginning, there's a, there's a lot that happened in this game and a lot to react to. We held Notre Dame out of the end zone on their first two drives, and Dax came up with an INT on the second drive. But they did punch it in on the third drive on the pass to commit to go up 7-0. 
We tied it up at the end of the first on the pass to Hazleton. In the second quarter, ND put together an 11-play, 77-yard drive to make it 14-7. And it looked like they were going to take a commanding lead into the half before Ashby got his helmet on the ball. Ball pops loose. Diablo goes streaking down the field, and it's all tied up at halftime. What was your reaction to that play? Because I, I was losing my mind. Yeah, I. it was the first time all season that I had a screaming moment in the basement that uh, my daughter was not prepared for because it hasn't <laughs> happened all season. Uh, and, and I had been tweeting out before that on a few plays, Diablo looked slow, a step behind, gave up some passes and he wasn't having a great game. And then that. just, he flipped the script on, on that. And then later with the, um, you know, the interception. So like I said, more than happy to eat crow on that. And I wasn't really judging him. He just looked a little bit slow and then all of a sudden turned it on. You weren't my only friend to text me something about Diablo not having a great game before that happened. And I guess that play gave him confidence because he did get the interception later and made some good plays. It, it, it was nice to see him get back on track. In the second half, we scored the next six points, twice settling for field goals. So it was 20-14 to 14 when Notre Dame got the ball with 322 left. Unfortunately, we all know how it ended. They had an 18-play drive. It, in two minutes and 53 seconds, it led to the scrambling touchdown for Ian Book. We did get the ball back with 23 seconds left, and after that was after the tricky kickoff return where we tried to all get in a huddle and, and mysteriously you know, run off. It didn't quite work out. Uh, ultimately, we threw a pick, and it was game over. Notre Dame won 21-20. to 20. Um, I tried to get through that as quick as possible because it was painful, in, in a word. Uh, the story of the game, I thought, was the spotty refereeing and the painful last-second loss, but secondary to that would be a team punching above its weight for a full 60 minutes and shorthanded for uh, in a lot of different ways. And I know Notre Dame had some injuries. I haven't gone back to look at who they lost and how critical they were. They did have guys go down a few times and one that was out for the game. The we'll quickly hit on the, the refereeing because I don't want to go into too much detail about what, what should have happened there, but on both sides of the ball, for Notre Dame, against Notre Dame, against us, there were some shady calls. I think if you averaged them all out, we probably got it a little bit worse. But some of those calls were just egregious. And a few of them didn't have that much of an impact. If the ineligible receiver downfield that went to Hayes, that actually didn't end up being that you know impactful. But it was when QP was really starting to get his feet underneath him a little bit in the past game. And we could have taken that down the field and, and ended up scoring. It felt like there was a lot of momentum on our side. Next play is the botched exchange, but and then they don't call the intentional grounding when Book throws it out of the end zone, it, which was in, insanity. Yeah, in, yeah. Fuente <laughs> was going nuts over that. Um, and then, but that also ended up resulting in the fumble return for a touchdown. So that that evened out some of the other plays. I don't think. Um, were were great, and a couple of them were against us. When Caleb Farley tackled the receiver on what early in the game, it was like the second drive for Notre Dame, and and he just literally laid the dude out before the ball was even thrown. So they did not they did not call this game very clean. And no, I think and, that's and even on the first touchdown, Hazelton pushed off. It was a pretty blatant push off, and I was glad they didn't call it. And and I and I know like the ineligible downfield. I, w- I was I read via Andy Bitter that that was the 
correct call. Uh, the the two plays in the end zone with the interception being down at the one and the uh, kickoff not being a safety, both of those didn't go our way, but have since been said that they were the right calls. Um, still, still crappy, and no, the officiating still wasn't good, even if they did get those three calls right because there were so many missed holds, so many missed just – pass interference, whatever you want to say. There was a lot of missed things in this game. And I would say it's not as bad as it seemed while watching the game, but I still think we got the worst end of it. Yeah, and the one that I'll come back to that was the most egregious was the Chapman, um, the pass, the interception that gets called back for the pass interference, or for the roughing the passer. There was no way to not hit the quarterback there, and it was not even that egregious of a tackle. That one is the one of everything in the game actually changed the outcome of what ended it was up the happening. worst call in the game for sure. Yeah. I, I totally agree because it was a split second after he got rid of the ball. And like you said, he didn't like flop his entire weight on him or like take him out of the knees. It, it, it just wasn't that bad. All right. So let's move on from the penalties real quick. And I, I will say with no cooker, no King, no Bradburn, uh, injured Connor, Waller's ejection and the first start for our redshirt freshman QB on the road at Notre Dame. And we lose by one. If I told you all of that, you would be very impressed. And and that's what I'm going to come away from this game as being is I'm very impressed with the way they played with the way they fought. Again, this is four games now where we've seen a different Virginia tech. I, I don't know what happened in those practices after Duke, but Something has fundamentally changed with this team because with with all this stacked against us in week three, we get throttled by Notre Dame. I mean, it, they they might have scored fifty five points. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And if you told we went in and we talked about what we thought the chances were of winning that game, and I said twenty percent was the what I had. I didn't know about all of those people that were going to be either out of the game or injured or dinged up or starting necessarily QP and they kept it within one point. That's incredible. If you told me all of that before the game, I would have put our chances at 5% and right. it would have at, been at what FPI had it at, which was five or 7% or something. And, and I totally agree with you because we thought we were going to have hooker. Our whole preview that we did last week was essentially targeted around hooker when we were talking about the offense and i do think it would have been a different game had he played but i don't like just blindly saying that if he plays we win it we'd have a better chance probably but butterfly effect man it's the same thing of if you take away all five turnovers against bc yeah we probably would have won but we just don't know because it changes everything uh the thing that sucked about this game was that we just could not get on track offensively. And when we seemed to, there was a penalty. And I think the play calling definitely deserves to be criticized, particularly some third down calls, the choice not to go for it when we were only up three. I have but, some thoughts on the play calling, more so from the, the, the statistics that I track for quarterbacks and who we had in the game in that situation. But... We can hit that as we get in here on some of the positives and, and the negatives. I don't like to think too much about the scheme as much as it is if we're passing the ball where what we utilized in the past and what we were utilizing here was was 
very different than any other game that we played this year or last year or really all four years of of Fuente. Yeah, let's just start with a little bit of that analysis. And to me, it seemed like we were throwing all long passes with a brand new redshirt freshman QB, which doesn't seem like a wise strategy to me. How, how did the stats shake out for you? So we had exactly zero passes that were behind the line of scrimmage, whether you're, you're a big fan of screen passes, bubble screen, that sort of thing. Uh, it has shown up in every single game under Justin Fuente since the start of his tenure at Virginia Tech. This being starting a redshirt freshman was the first game that we didn't have a single pass that was behind the line of scrimmage, which is so much of a statistical anomaly, it doesn't even make sense. And on on top of that, the length of the passes were... There was two other games that have been where we had really good games and really good passing games where um, that had longer average pass distance, right around like 16 yards. This was 15 and a half yards downfield on average across every attempt that QP had in the game, which... A typical game for Virginia Tech is like 10 yards to give you. That is a magnitude difference with a a quarterback who, one, we know has um, better better feet and size than he has in, in, in arm and accuracy at this point in his career. So it w- I was blown away when I went back and looked at it. It was a little curious as to why there was no effort to get Quincy comfortable throwing the football. It, we didn't even target a tight end in the game. Like, what did we do when we had Hendon Hooker in his first start? We threw to Dalton Keene for three touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Like, why? I'm a. That's what bothers me about this. And and hey, it's we kept it within one. The idea that the coaches had was to kill the clock. Essentially, is to get out of South Bend as fast as possible, and it almost worked. It did almost work. So. It's, it's hard to argue. At the same time, as I was saying with that thin line, we were outgained by 200 yards. It could have been a 14-point lead for Notre Dame at the half. Really should have been. Uh, they could have picked up their fumble and run it into the end zone <laughs> like we did, but they, they didn't weren't able to do that. So, yes, the strategy almost worked, but almost only counts in, what is it? <laughs> was it horseshoes and hand grenades, Horse- right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, I- we lost. So the strategy, uh, while decent, wasn't good enough. You needed to get Quincy some short passes early on, and maybe he wouldn't have gone 9 for 28 in the game. It was windy, and it was cold. I know he's from Chicago, but it was, it was, it was ripe for... I actually give Quincy a lot of credit, and I know the passes were kind of ugly, but he was missing to the right places because in that type of atmosphere, on this length of throws with what we talked about being a, a, a lot of good defensive backs for Notre Dame. And they were playing tight coverage on a lot of those plays and they played a pretty, a pretty good game. It could have been bad. This could have been a four five interception type game where the wheels just really come off. So in his first start, I give him a lot of credit for relatively protecting the football throughout the, over the course of the game. And there were drops. So I know 9 of 28 is still bad, but he did have some some key drops in there from the receivers. Uh, he finished with over 200 total yards. He had 77 yards rushing and a 4.1 average. The problem was as a team, we were only able to run for 2.7 yards per carry. 
after averaging 4.4 in the previous three games. Just 2.46 yards from McLeese per carry. Uh, that's not going to get it done. And he's been playing really well lately. And I thought the offensive line even played decent. And we just couldn't get a lot of push in the run game. Or maybe it was more that the guys couldn't get loose. There was a couple tackles by Notre Dame where they like brought Quincy down with one arm. And yeah. I was like, I, it didn't really make sense to me. I thought there were times when our players could have kept their feet better. Uh, because that... That 2.7 yards per carry. I mean, that that's bad considering the run threat from the QB. Yeah, they did put they put five on the line. They they it was obvious they were going to stop the run. I thought Quincy after the game before where he was and maybe it was him and Hooker were a lot better at the read option. This this time there were like six plays where he either gave it off and I was like dude that is a clear keep you had probably 10 yards of yeah, field yeah. or the opposite he kept like or he didn't keep he you know the opposite you know way around I understand um and that it, it, that makes sense for he's still getting his his wits about him I thought that um you know Farley's performance overall was pretty good they took a lot of shots at him early and they went after him and uh, he, at first he struggled a little bit, but I think overall he, he had a good game and Dax had an interception. He, he finally kind of made his presence known for the team. That was a big interception that set the tone, I think early on in this game. So while he may not have had an overall great game, um, I thought that was good. And then Diablo, you know, like I said, had, had overall a great game after a really tough start. Yeah, he he certainly did. He I think he won ACC defensive back of the week or something. Uh we had Ashby also again winning ACC linebacker of the week. I hit like it's just about every week or every other week for Ashby. 13 tackles, 11 solo, 3 tackles for loss, a forced fumble. He made a lot of plays, but there were there were a few bad plays from Ashby too. And and I love the guy. He he's very very good on his way to becoming elite, but you still saw a few things there uh, in coverage and just trying to to get to a ball carrier that it it, it looked bad. But still a, a very good game by Ashby. If we didn't have him, we'd be in a lot more trouble than than uh, than we are right now. Um, Floyd had a nice bounce back game from from just some of his season. He had a very good game, seven tackles, and I. I I agree with you on Dax and Diablo. Good, good games from those guys. The defense as a whole, they gave up 447 yards, uh, but they were solid early on. They for, they forced five three and outs and had two turnovers in the first half. They single-handedly kept us in that first half, most notably with a touchdown. Uh, in the second half, though, ND had a lot more success sustaining drives, only one three and out. Their final two drives totaled 35 plays. I mean, I th- I thought 17 plays for a drive was a lot until 18 happened on the very next one. I could not believe it. And yeah, they were there was holding on on Notre Dame on several plays that wasn't called. They got bailed out on some penalties on other plays. So those drives never should have reached that point. But ultimately they converted two fourth downs that that got them down to the goal line and it uh it sucked, man. I mean, it sucked. And we didn't have Waller, and we had to drop eight because we couldn't get pressure, so we needed more coverage. 
and people were kind of criticizing Bud the conversation about he should have brought more pressure on the final drive. Hindsight is is twenty twenty, and I I'm gonna trust Bud's judgment there because he knows the personnel and Quillen. He, he, that's not who he wants back there. You know that that is not a guy in coverage that we want, and he felt he needed to provide help. And I heard on somewhere else like we can't get pressure with four people, so we're only gonna rush three anyway. Because unless you bring a DB or Chamari Connor or something, you're not going to get any pressure. And we need those guys back because Book was picking us apart. I think there's also, if you rewatch the game, there's a little bit of, of misperception of what was happening there. So Ian Book was scrambling a lot out of the pocket. And uh, uh, he was scrambling way more than QP was by far. And it wasn't even close. So I think he was outside the pocket, if I had to guess, probably... 10 to 12 times and on at least eight to nine of those, they were either thrown out of bounds or they were thrown into really, really not going to be good, you know, completion plays right at the, um, uh, at the boundary. So there was, there was enough pressure and credit to Ian book. He generally protected the football in a way that, that on the run, I didn't think of him as somebody that could scramble around that much and get off, you know, passes that were going to work. That said, on the last drive of the game, he was just sitting in the pocket and just picking us apart. And I, I don't know. I, I hate prevent defense. It drives me crazy just because I feel like what can happen is exactly what we watched in this game. But I believe it's Bud, true, yeah. I believe Bud, when he says that he, and he said in the press conference, he felt like with the people that were out of the game, he, he needed to drop more back and he didn't have what he needed there to, to protect it. So I think if we start, if we get lucky and we get some pressure with a heavy, heavy rush on the QB it's just as likely I think they go over the top and it leads to a long touchdown anyway. And I think we probably would have ended up in the same place, but you know, who knows? As shorthanded as we were, the thing that killed us was Waller going out of the game. And and that's the worst part is because he was healthy. It was because of the targeting. And we win that game if, if Waller's in the game. I, I'm comfortable with saying that because and that, that was an unnecessary targeting was. he was, he was the, QB, down. the QB was getting pulled down and I don't expect players to be perfect everybody's going to be making a mistake that was a big mistake because that would have been a tackle for a loss for almost eight yards and the QB was already getting pulled I'm not the it was I think it was the running back was get already getting pulled down yep absolutely Ian Book had 386 of their 447 yards 53 pass attempts. No wonder our secondary was tired at the end. I mean, they were just passing over and over again because our run defense showed up pretty well. We were at an advantage because they were missing Tony Jones Jr. He ended up not playing. And the run D, 106 yards, 2.8 yards per rush. I mean, they did they did well, and they forced Ian Book to throw the ball a lot. And again, that strategy almost worked. <laughs> Uh, God, it's, it just stinks, man. It, it really stinks the way it shook out because those guys played their hearts out. And I I know there the wide receivers had drops. They couldn't get separation. The defense, a few too many long plays, a few too many penalties here and there, but man, like with how, with how many guys we were missing and not having 
we were playing our third string QB if you go back a month, right? I mean, I yeah. I know QP is the second stringer now, basically, but like he was our third string QB when the season started. And he went out there and we damn near almost beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Something that in 22 tries, no ACC team has beaten a ranked Notre Dame team. And we were this close to doing it. I'm, I'm squeezing my fingers very close to <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. It, I, I had the thought process of, and most people won't like this, they'll throw up all over it, but if we were going to pass that much and they were going to, which was said after the game, they were going to contain the run that much, you got to wonder if, if, if Willis sitting in the pocket passing may have been better in this particular instance. Overall, I think QP and Hooker are no doubt uh, what makes this offense look a lot different. But, you know, then they probably don't put five on the line and they probably drop back into coverage and everything changes like butterfly effect. Just just as you said, I will say John Parker Romo. I, as soon as I heard that Brad Byrne was out, I was scared. He came in hit his first punt was was pretty massive and uh, and i started to feel bad better about that and he had a he had a really good game and uh grimsley on on the returns he had one that he had to catch one in traffic on the run that was caught up in the wind another one that almost went over to the sideline that would have dropped in that he he caught and the other one where the notre dame player hit him which led to the penalty he still caught it he almost coughed it up a little bit but He's had he had you know some pretty significant drops and muff punts early on, so I wanted to give uh, a shout out to him because he had a a good game. While it wasn't productive necessarily for yards in that kind of atmosphere with the wind and the weather, I thought he did well. Special teams wise, I also wanted to give Wheatley a shout out for just the heads up return play where he jumped out of bounds and then jumped on the ball, which I don't think anyone knew that <laughs> before we right. saw it. Uh, cause I was like, what the hell is he doing? And then I was like, oh, nice play. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably everyone's reaction. Yep. So yeah, some, some nice special teams play, uh, considering we didn't have our all-star punter out there. Uh, but yeah, that last, what did you think about the last kickoff return? Was that too uh, goofy the, for you? Or? It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. The, yeah. the trick play. It, the, yeah. The, that was... That was horrific. Yeah, it was horrific, and it was a bit desperate, and looked like it hadn't been tried until, even in practice, until that moment. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and that's fine. You know, we we just went down. We're trying to make something happen, but I, I don't know. The only thing with Willis that you mentioned, I, I don't think that if he starts, that we win by any stretch. I think um, there's something about these these two running QBs that inspires the team as a whole. Yep. And, and this is, I, I don't know why, but this is just my opinion. I don't think Willis inspires the team. I just don't. So I, I don't think it'd be any closer, but on the last drive, the very last drive where we need to go down the field, that's the only time where I was like, maybe we should put Willis in right now to throw some deep passes. That was the only thing I was thinking. Well, because like, we're going to be passing anyway. It's not as though we were going to bring a surprise. Uh, they, the defense, knew exactly, you know, what was going to be what was going to be happening. And the whole point, I think, is when we have Hooker in there and QP, is the defense has to be prepared for multiple different looks from this team. In that instance, it's not happening. 
All right. Oh, overall thoughts quickly before we move on to the beer break. Uh, <clears throat> there was some one-sided refereeing, I thought. Uh, but overall, not not as bad as when I was watching the game. Uh, not having Hooker killed us. That that goes without saying. It, it's one of those games where you go in with low expectations, but still somehow get your heart ripped out. <laughs> and I think Joe alluded to that on Twitter at one point. It's like you go in and you know, I'm just going to watch the game and enjoy myself. We're not going to win. That's fine. And then by the end of the game, and this is where I was, like, if we lose now, I'm going to be really pissed off. And I ended up being really pissed off. And it's, it sucks, you know? And it, it, it sucks, but it's also cool that, that they got me to that point, that they the team played well enough to win, got me excited about them winning. And, and it stinks that the you know you have to have it end like that. But if you wanted to be negative about it, you could do the whole, like, yeah, Notre Dame was on their way to cover and, and we just got lucky with some fluky plays. But let's not do that because you only get those types of plays when you fight hard. And that's what this team has been doing. Yeah, I don't I don't bring myself to, hey, could have gone the other way just as easily because Diablo still made the play. Like they, they still made the play, right? However it transpired. And after that, things could have gone a different different way. And we also missed some opportunities for points as well on multiple occasions that could have been different. So it, it could have gone a lot of different ways. I think the team should be, they won't be, but I think they should be walking away in extremely high spirits after giving that kind of showing uh, on the road in South Bend with arguably um, your, like you said, third string quarterback, but whether, whatever string you want to call him, he hasn't started and not everybody's Trevor Lawrence these days. So the expectations yeah. have gotten blown out of proportion of what people should be able to come in and do without experience. That's that's not where we're at right now. And so I think they should be really happy about the performance overall. But it did. It ripped my heart out because I really thought that we were going to get that W or should have. Even at, at the end, we should have gotten the W. I thought that after the way everybody played, it, you know, I get it. Bill C's stats said that we had a 1% statistically chance of winning that game. So we probably shouldn't have, but the players made it happen and we were in that game. And I think we should have gotten the W if, if we executed correctly. Or if they called holding on the last play, yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I think multiple guys were being held, but that's besides the point with regard to the Bill C stats and stuff. If we do keep getting outgained by 200 yards, like we did against Miami, and we did against Notre Dame, one of these days we're going to get blown out. <laughs> like, it's just, it's going to happen. Uh, we won one game where we got outgained by 200 yards, and we lost the other one by one. Let's not get outgained by 200 yards again, because I'm afraid it could go disastrously. <laughs> yeah, I think it's different than necessarily that. I think it's more a sign that the team is cohesive and stays in games. That's what mm -hmm. I take away from that more Agreed. so than the statistically, if you played that game a hundred times, how many times you would only win it once. I think it shows resolve of the players and a cohesiveness that's starting to come together because I'm not just, I always say this, I'm not thinking about just this season. I'm thinking about the future of the program and what we're trying to build and put together. And quite honestly, we have ACC play right in the thick of it and control our own destiny in these, in these final games that are coming up this season. So 
that to me is even more important that everybody's sticking with it because with those types of stats, this easily could have gotten out of hand. All right, let's take a quick beer break before we move on to Wake Forest. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? So I'm having the a foggy day in London town, New England English IPA. It's from Three Notched Brewing Company. It's a limited release, Charlottesville beer, and I don't have as much time to pop by the specialty beer store everywhere, so I could get this one at Whole Foods. 7.2%. It's a New England style hazy, but it's a low low bitter IPA, dry hopped with English hops, which which makes it evidently a new English IPA, not necessarily a new England IPA, which ah. uh, is a clever, clever play on words there. Uh, I like it a lot. It's pretty good subdued, not too high of alcohol content, and a limited release. So if you uh, can get your hands on it, I would definitely try out the beer. Nice. I'm having the Mocha Brown from D9 Brewing. D9 is a North Carolina brewer. You had them on a few weeks ago when you were down in North Carolina. And it's got, it has got says Mocha Brown, and then it says Brown Sugar Brown Cow. So I'm not sure which is the name of the beer. But it is a brown ale. It is pretty good. I, it's it's definitely got some sweetness to it. 6.6% alcohol. I like brown ales. I'm not sure if you're a big fan of them. This isn't my favorite one, but it is, it's pretty solid. And I, I've never had this brewery either, but it's a good first taste from them. The Mocha Brown Naturally Flavored Ale from D9 Brewing. I want to talk about Wake Forest, man. Because this game and this team is probably better than Notre Dame in some ways. Not not every way, but overall, how do you think how do you think Wake Forest ranks in terms of college football? You know, top twenty-five. Do you think they deserve they're deserving of that nineteen ranking they just got in the CFP? Do you think they're better than Notre Dame? I th- their offense is pretty explosive and really impressive what their QB has been able to do. I I actually had higher thoughts about Wake Forest and what they've done, given that they're seven and one thus far on the season. than when I actually dug into it and looked at the scores of the games, I I follow almost every game, but you know, sometimes it's, you got to look back. So I, the outside of the 44 to 10 waxing of NC state, which they just did. So they're riding high at, at this point, most of their power five games have been close. So they have one loss that was in that crazy shootout against Louisville where they lost 62 to 59. Other than that, the Utah state game was 38, 35. That was the first game of the season for them. Uh, so there's a little bit of rust that you got to knock off. UNC was 24-18, BC was 27-24, FSU was 22-20. to So when they've gone up to more elite talent, the games have been a lot closer than I perceived, given all the things that we've heard to the positive about Wake Forest. Yeah, the best team they played, according to a couple different places, is Louisville, and they lost that game. All the other games as you said, we're very close. Florida State, two points. BC, three points. UNC, six points. Utah State, three points. Their best win, according to the Kali Matrix, is four and four Utah State. So yes, they did just 
crush NC State, and it was their best game. It was their quarterback's best game of his career, according to the QBR. Uh, NC State is 65th in the S&P Plus. We're 64th. So that's a little concerning, right? You look at a team that should be right on your level statistically, and they just got smoked. And if you look at NC State's defense, they're nine spots ahead of us in the S&P Plus. And Wake Forest just threw up 44 points on them. That's concerning. However, every game is different. Every week is different. That's kind of a rivalry for them. Uh, was Wake coming off a bye? I think they might have been coming off a bye. I, don't I, know. I think they may have, but I don't know that. Uh, but yeah, they smoked NC State. NC State sucks. They're not playing well. We are playing well. We've been playing well for four games now. And most recently, we haven't even been at full strength. If we have Hooker out there, I think this is going to be a close game. We'll dig into that a little bit more, but I'm not scared off right now by the 44 to 10 to NC State. I I do think that when teams get hot, it's dangerous, but we're just as dangerous at this point in the season, I think, that Wake is as long as we have our starting quarterback. The only other thing I would add to that before we get into the actual team and we're more on the schedule side of things is they have Clemson on the road the week after our game. So it may not be a look ahead, but Wake Forest right now has a path to make it to the ACC championship if they were to, you know, kind of finish things off. It beat us and then, you know, and, and in an unlikely outcome, beat Clemson, right? Like we all know that that's probably not going to happen, but that has to be top of mind given you're sitting at seven and one and you're feeling really good about it. So that, that would be... Um, it's not necessarily, I don't think it's a look ahead game, but you know, whatever you go out there and put there on the field against us, that you got something coming, coming a lot bigger and better the week after that you got to prepare for as well. That's true. That's, I hadn't, I hadn't really considered that, but it's very true. Let's talk about their offense. 38th in S and P plus 56th in yards per play. So I kind of expected both of those numbers to be higher, but particularly the yards per play. One of the reasons that the yards per play is around the, the middle of college football is because they're the fastest offense in the country. Quite literally, they run the most plays of anyone in college football. They're 16th in scoring offense, so that's a, a good clip higher than their other efficiency marks, scoring 38 points per game. And they're seventh in total offense, bringing in 510 yards. I cannot believe that a Wake Forest team is averaging over 500 yards per game. That is insane when you look back at what they were doing in 2014, the last time we played them in the famous 0-0 game. Yeah, and then I think this that was the last time that they were uh, we played them. And they've only played a couple times, I think, in in Blacksburg as of late. I think it's, uh, you know, this is the second time since we joined the conference. Think about that. Yeah. That that doesn't even make any, they might as well not even be in our conference. Like we've only played them once in Blacksburg. I've pooped all over our, the way that the ACC set up too many times to, to rehash that one, but it's insane. So Jamie Newman is, is the thing that makes this offense go six, four two thirty. He's a big dude. I would, Classify him as a more accurate Gerard Evans. He runs a bit less than Gerard, but he passes better. His QBR is about the same as Evans. 
His passer rating is 159.9, just right about at 160, and he's 16th in the country, just behind Trevor Lawrence in, in the conference at the second-best QB in the conference of passing the football. 305 yards rushing and five more touchdowns on top of the 20 passing touchdowns. This kid is good. He's, he's almost completing 68% of his passes or something. So uh, that makes me nervous. You just look at him and his stats, and he missed the game against Florida State. So maybe that two-point victory over Florida State should should be a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, Jamie Newman, he's a scary guy. Yeah, and he had a shoulder injury for a little bit, and I think that's why he was out for, for the Florida State game. So, yeah, 25 total TDs to five interceptions that he's put up uh, in, in in games, and part of that time was, was with a, a, a shoulder injury. And I think the wide receiving core is even... <laughs> is scary and yeah. they have they have three running backs that over the course of the season that all have between 300 and 400 yards each and eight TDs between them. So there there's some firepower here to say the least. Yeah, Sage Surratt, the sophomore wide receiver, he's 6 foot 3. He has 948 yards. That leads the ACC. Scotty Washington and Kendall Hinton, all three of those guys are in the top five in terms of average yards per game uh, in, in, for receiving. So they've got three different targets, and Washington is 6'5". So you got Surratt at 6'3", Washington at 6'5", some big targets. Then they got the tight end, too. The four guys, Surratt, Washington, Hinton, and the tight end, Jack Freudenthal, 21 total TDs this year. It, it's this is a problem on the outside. <laughs> this is a big problem for us, a team that is missing one of their starting corners for the first half. And they're all averaging, all three of those wide receivers are averaging more than 11 yards per reception. It, they're, they are moving the ball quick and pretty pretty efficiently. I mean, they only have five TDs. They've fumbled the ball 11 times. They've only lost two of those fumbles which is ridiculous. They have seven total turnovers on the fastest paced, most plays of any offense pretty much in the country, which is is incredible. Yeah, they're 10th in turnover margin, and that's mainly because, like you said, they've only lost seven. It's not like they're gaining an incredible amount from the defense. They're just really good at protecting the football. Their offensive line, 18th in sacks allowed which when you consider the amount of plays that they're running is extremely impressive. They're, they're, they're giving up very few sacks per game and that's aided by Newman's legs. He's able to get out of the pocket. And if you've watched any of Wake Forest, you've seen this very unique mesh point handoff thing that they do where it's very dragged out. It's almost like they're making the decision while both the running back and the quarterback are holding onto the ball and they're both moving together and then one of them runs off. It's, I know that doesn't sound unique, but when you see it, it it's like, what the hell are they doing? And, and it's worked out really well for them. The running backs are solid. The receivers are explosive. No, they don't have the best yards per play, but they just come at you and come at you, and they go so fast. When you consider our depth and just our secondary in general, this is an extremely big challenge for us. 
Well, if you think about those the teams, Ohio State did it for a period of time where they hold the ball inside. It's basically the QB holding the ball inside the running back's gut and making the last-minute decision. Cardell was really good at it, and, and that's when they did a lot of damage to people in those games. It is, if you can make it, it's dangerous because you need it really is. good communication between and really good feel. But if you practice enough and you get good at it, it's extremely hard to, to defend. Well, the reason it works is because you got a junior at quarterback, you got a, a senior in Cade Carney, the starting running back, you got three seniors when you go to Washington, Hinton, and Freudenthal. This is a veteran offense. So that that's why they're operating so well. The defense isn't as veteran. And we can flip over to that before we kind of talk about both together. They're 63rd in S&P Plus, 66th in yards per play, 69th in opposing QB rating. You can see where I'm going. They are literally mediocre, like right right down the middle of college football in 67th in yards per carry, just to add the final one in there. They stand out in scoring D. Somehow they've given up only the 47th most points. Uh, 20th in the country on third down. So maybe that's why they're getting, they're managing to get off the field on third down and that's keeping the points down. But in general, you can move the ball in this defense. Uh, they, they're young, but solid on the defensive line. Their best player is a guy by the name of Carlos Boogie Basham. Uh, I think the, the broadcast will probably refer to him as Boogie. Uh, 11 and a half tackles for loss by far the best player on this defense. Yeah, he's tripling anybody else on the defense pretty much almost in 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 sacks. Uh he's really good. Um the person leading their team in tackles is their linebacker Justin this name should not exist. S T R N A D. Sternad. I know. I don't know how to pronounce it, but guess what? He's out for the year. Oh, I didn't know that. So perfect. Yeah. Well, he he uh something his bicep or something. Exploded. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. He, he pulled his bicep. I don't know, but he's supposedly he's done for the year. But yeah, he's the leading tackler. I don't even think he played against NC State. Yeah, but he's still leading the team in tackles. And then Amari Henderson has four interceptions on the year and nine passes defended. Basically, nothing on a stat line or talent standpoint really stands out to you, which is probably exactly why they're ranked right in the middle of the pack in terms of most defensive stats that um, really come up. I really think this depends on whether if I hope Hendon Hooker plays because I think there's a real opportunity here for um, him to be to be good in this game. And given what this this team showed up in defense uh, on the on the year. Yeah, Basham provides a problem on the line because not only does he have 11 and a half tackles for loss, he has 11 hurries. Yeah. <laughs> so he is a, a scary guy that you may have to double team. But otherwise, I, I'm on board with you, man. I mean, Nazir Green in the secondary, Hussein Bank. I'd say the secondary, five of the top nine tacklers are DBs. They have nine interceptions. So it's it's decent. But it's still, you know, what did I say? 69th against passer rating? Like, if we have Hendon Hooker out there, there are going to be opportunities to score points, and I think, I think we can get into the 30s on this team. I, I really do. Think about the mentality of Fuente going into that Notre Dame game. Did he want? Was the knee really that wonky, or did he just want to make sure that Hendon was 100% healthy for the rest of the ACC games? I hope it's 
it's the latter because if he's out there, we're going to have a chance. And if he's not, we don't. That That's kind of how I think of it. All signs point to it being the latter. If you really stack up everything and what would be going into somebody's mind frame, especially with what's happened this season, the heat that was getting put on Fuente and Coach Corn, it just it just makes more sense to keep him on the bench and have him ready for Wake Forest. It, it, you can't... It's so hard. Well, yes, you want to go out, and I've seen this comment so many times. It's like, I want us to go out there and try and win... Every game, you know, win tough games, win against Notre Dame on the road. That's what we should be trying to do. But at the number one goal of this season is to try and make the conference championship, right? That the, the, the playoff and everything has started to screw things up so much about the way people perceive football. That used to be what was important to us. Let's go to the ACC championship game. And that's where you have to look at what the coach is doing and that Notre Dame game, it would have been awesome to have hooker out there and maybe taken a W and it would have been a huge road win. It probably, you can't say that it wouldn't inspire confidence for the game subsequent to that, but you go out there and if that knee is even a little bit troubled or you bruise that confidence of hooker, even just a little bit and the ACC games come crashing down after that, that is going to be a lot worse for the fan base than a one-point loss in South Bend. Yes, it's true. The one thing that to counter that, and not that I would necessarily want to, but just for the sake of it, the Wake Forest game is kind of the most meaningless game we have last, left. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because it's not a coastal game. The GT game on paper is much more winnable. And <clears throat> if it was like in the same ballpark at – the health of the knee, I, I mean, then you'd be like, okay, well, the Notre Dame game only mattered for bowl eligibility. And that's kind of what the Wake Forest game is too. So the mentality of Fuente should be about the same. The difference is he's probably, hopefully, practiced more, healed more this week. So the mentality is different. But it's just interesting because this coastal, these coastal matchups are far more important. We can lose the Wake game and still win the division. Yep, that's right. And I I totally agree with that. But coming out and laying another egg against a really high-powered Wake Forest team would be bad. Because any way you cut this, you have to be going into this Wake Forest. Unless the defense shows that they can stop this Wake Forest team that just put up 44 points on NC State and is really riding high you got to be coming into this game trying to score 40 points. I I know yeah, yeah you do. That that should be your your goal. In the this, Louisville game was 59-62. <laughs> right. And like you're going to have to put up points to beat this team. And if you don't, you could see another Duke loss type happening because and Wake Forest can put up the points. So if you don't have a good offensive performance this week, you have another home loss that on the overall schedule looks like a disaster because it's another blowout. So I get it. And you know, maybe that's a little counter to what I said originally, but he's also trying to do the best by the team. He's also trying to do the best by his job. Nobody's going to work every day, you know, (laughs) not trying to like make sure that it doesn't look good on them. Like he has a job to do. He's trying to do it well, or at least have it be perceived to be doing well. I'm guessing it killed him 
to not play Hendon Hooker against Notre Dame. I'm I'm guessing that was a very, very difficult decision. Considering Hooker was out there throwing the football fully dressed, it had to kill him because he knows how much he's been under fire. You know, he knows and he's done a lot to to help his status, but a Notre Dame win would have really, really helped, and he has to know that. Outside of Hooker, we have to get off the field in third down to have a chance in this game. Keeping the def- the defense fresh, keeping the cornerbacks fresh, uh, biding our time until we can get Waller back in the second half, that's key. They have to get off the field on third down. That's something we couldn't do at the end of the Notre Dame game. We have to do it here. And Wake Forest, I think, is... I looked up the stats, and I think I have it here. They're 50% on third down. They're 55% on fourth down uh, over the course of the season. So, Wow. That's good. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think I had that written down. Uh, it, coastal thoughts real quick before we talk about the spread. We need to beat UVA to win the division. We can't win it if we don't beat UVA. We likely have to win three out of the last four games, barring something really, really screwy. We have to win three games out of the four. And we pretty much have to beat Pitt and UVA of those two teams, of those four games. We can still win if we lose to Wake, um, We can't, but we can't win it without Hooker. So, again, <laughs> if the health isn't there, you save him for Georgia Tech. But hopefully he will play because if you beat Wake – it does give you the leniency to lose the Georgia Tech game and still win the Coastal. Otherwise, if you beat Wake, it would be our first win over a ranked team at home in 10 years. So there's value to that for recruiting, for the spirit of the team, for our own sanity. It would be nice to beat a ranked team at home. Uh, But ultimately, there's a lot of work left to do even if we do beat Wake. I agree with that. I am worried about this game. I will be there, but I'm worried about that offense. I hope Hooker plays because I think it's going to be relatively high scoring. I think the over-under is 62 on the game, something along those lines, 62, 65. So that's where I would peg it is you got to get to the high 30s at least if you're going to win this game in my mind, but we'll see. Yeah, Wake is... Two and a half point favorites. They opened as only a one point favorite, which I thought was very surprising, considering their performance last week. And I, and I know we played well, but still one point. And you know they're they're ranked and they're seven and one. It's surprising. Let's get into the picks uh, before we give our final thoughts. Penn State is going to Minnesota this week. This is number five. Penn State going to undefeated number 13, Minnesota. These are AP poll rankings. Like I said, Minnesota is actually 17 in the uh, college football playoff, Penn State at number four. Penn State, six and a half point favorites on the road. Who do you got in this game, Robbie? I'm going to take Penn State. Minnesota hasn't been tested like this. I think Penn State's going to end up covering it by, you know, a touchdown to potentially up to, to 10 points. Yeah, I like Penn State as well. I I just don't think Minnesota's been tested, like you said. LSU at Alabama. Alabama is six-point favorites at home in this one. I'm going to go with LSU. I, I know Tua is supposedly healthy, but these teams, this is going to be a hell of a game. 
I, I don't think this is going to be the six to three like it was several years ago when these two teams matched up at really high rankings. I think this is going to get up there in points. Could be a lot of fun. I'm going to go with LSU plus six. I've been high on LSU. I'm going to go Bama just because this is a perfect spoiler for them just to mash LSU's hopes and dreams into the into the ground. They could still make the playoff, but this is a perfect spot for Saban to turn into Satan. It's true. It's very true. Next game I have is number 18, Iowa, going to number 16, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, nine-and-a-half-point favorites at home in this one. I like Iowa. They have a very good defense. No, their offense is not good at all. But nine and a half in this rivalry game, I'm going to go Iowa. I'm taking Iowa as well. Back to the ACC, Louisville at Miami. Miami six and a half point favorites against what some could consider the third best team in the ACC. Who is the third best team in the ACC, Robbie? Uh, probably Louisville, I would think. I think it's yeah. it's definitely got to be Louisville. I think it actually could be. Um, uh, it could probably on any given Saturday be us. Uh, sadly, it could be. Um, it could be. It could be Miami. It could be UVA. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, since it's so hard to determine, and this is a six and a half point spread. I'm going to take Louisville. I think that's a good good call. I think the Miami's getting a little too. Getting props for beating up what we just found out to be an absolute dumpster fire uh, and a firing in Florida yeah. State. I actually meant to put that in my news and notes that Willie Taggart got fired. Uh, not that it's super pertinent to us at the moment, but it it is big ACC news. Yeah, Miami, they're very high in the SP+. I don't know if it's fully warranted. But they're they're up there. I think they're a top thirty team when it comes to that. So I'm still going to take Louisville. I, I just think the ACC is what it is this year, and Louisville will cover that spread. Speaking of the ACC, number four Clemson going to NC State. Now this is the real big rivalry, the Textile Bowl. Uh, Clemson, just a slight favorite, thirty one and a half. I got to take NC State. I can't. <laughs> it's too That's many, just, right? I mean, uh, at what point does it just become too much? Well, I know Clemson, what, what just happened to NC They just State. got left out. They just got left out. <laughs> and you've been taking Clemson to cover those spreads. I know. And I probably should. NC State, what did they lose by? It was 44 to 10. So they yeah. lost Yeah, they lost by They lost by, they 30, lost by 34 points. to Wake. <laughs> um, ah. they are at home in this one. Yeah, I I gotta go. I gotta go. NC State. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah, Clemson has been on a warpath, so I'm just gonna take Clemson. Uh, I'm gonna switch it up right at the moment where they're probably gonna have another another one of their like three point games, but I'm gonna take Clemson to cover 31 and a half. Just I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> All right, next <laughs> next game, Oklahoma at Iowa State. Number nine, Oklahoma. On the road at Iowa State, who has fallen out of the rankings in the AP poll, 14.5-point favorites for Oklahoma. I'm going to take Iowa State to cover. Yeah, I got Iowa State. So uh, that one, I mean, Oklahoma's got to start just trouncing people to make sure that they have a shot at the playoff again after that loss. But I think this is going to be, especially in a home game, 
I got to go Iowa State here. Yeah. Oklahoma came in at number nine in the college football playoff rankings. So, yes, you are correct. They need to start whooping people to to get back in the hunt. Uh, You had Georgia at six behind Clemson at five, and then it was Oregon and Utah. And that that will work itself out. One yeah. of those teams is obviously going to have to lose, and and one of them might lose before they even play each other. Uh, but yeah, we're getting into that that time of the year, man, where everyone's going to be jockeying for position around the top of the rankings. And I'm just hoping for Virginia Tech that we can. <laughs> this game matters for bowl eligibility. That's what I said. That's really all it matters for. Because if you can't go out next week and beat Georgia Tech, the you got big, big problems. Yeah. So this game for Tech matters to get to a bowl, but it doesn't matter for the division, in my opinion, because you still have to beat Pitt and UVA, and those are going to be very tough rock fight type games. Yep, I agree with that. Do you have another beer you wanted to drink over there? Uh, it's it's downstairs, so I'll I'll leave one in the uh, in in the fridge, and we'll get to it next week. All right, that sounds good. Yeah, sorry, I meant to ask you earlier. I don't know how this game's going to go. I, I wrote down a score prediction. Um, I think I'm just going to keep it to myself. Because, <laughs> like I said, uh, I've been wrong a lot. Now, last week when we talked about the Notre Dame game, I think that was our most accurate podcast we may have had in years. And I, and I think it worked out that way for a lot of people. Maybe it it just lent itself. We were playing well. Notre Dame was coming off a, a very bad game, and it just felt like Tech was going to keep it close. And, and we were right on, and we had our chance. And I actually felt really good about the upset, you know, keeping it, trying to keep it under wraps in the last podcast. But I felt good about possibly getting an upset. I don't have that feeling this week. Yeah, I'm struggling. I had money. Uh, I had a lot of money on the cover of the spread, which I won. And then I had a good amount of money that would have paid off a lot of money on the money line. And I thought it was going to happen, and it didn't happen. This week, I am way more hesitant than I than I was against that. The Notre Dame game was they were all ups for us. There was no real downside, even if we you know got it could have gotten ugly, ugly, and that might have been a downside. But other than that, we were playing house money on that game, like uh, like everybody thought. Yeah, we were, and that's why when we were up three. And it was third down, and then you have Runcy, Quincy run the QB draw, and then it's fourth down, and you don't go for it, and now you're up six with a field goal kick. Just go for the touchdown. Go up ten or stay up three. You're still winning, and we have nothing to lose. So go for the touchdown, and you should have called your third down play in accordance with the thought that you had four downs, and that that was the only time really 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 that I had a problem with the play calling because there's no point to us being up six points and the funny opinion. part was then notre dame probably goes down the field and they probably end up kicking a field goal so exactly and then just exactly. just to go to overtime so and we would have been in overtime and we would have had a chance and maybe we would have lost then too but maybe we would have been up 10 points yep and and that's that was the point in that notre dame game where i i was like i don't like being up six i really i don't think there's any benefit oh i was and it turned out, out there wasn't it, it, it there wasn't because it forced notre dame to go for it when they technically could have kicked a field goal or made of or might have aligned their play calling to get in field goal range 
rather than getting into the end zone. But we'll digress and we'll end the podcast. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, We've got important games coming up. This last four games, I don't remember a stretch like this that I've been like looking forward to, like the change that it could have on our season, how these four games go. We could win all four. We could lose all four. We could get the two that we need. We could get the three that we need, whatever. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think we're going to beat UVA. I've been saying that since early in the season. I always thought we were going to improve the season went along. I think we're going to beat UVA. It's weather. Pitt scares me. Even going down to Georgia Tech scares me a little bit. And this game, it's going to be a very tough game. I'm fascinated to see how this season ends. I agree. It's I'll be there, and I'm hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. All right. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2DVT on Instagram. 2DVT at gmail.com to send us any comments or questions. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcast. You can type in Hokies. You might see some other podcasts on there. You can choose to ignore them if you want and just click on ours, give us a review, rate, subscribe. Um, But yeah, that's going to do it. Thank you for listening. And until next time, when we're hopefully celebrating the first win over a ranked team in lane in 10 years, go Hokies.